All right, well, I have a message for you today. I have been out of the pulpit for actually three weeks. My wife preached on Mother's Day. We went on vacation, and I was gone uh, for a weekend. Uh, ben Miller preached a great message on revival, what it is, what it looks like, how to um, engage in it. And uh, actually, my wife and I, we were on vacation. Um, I went to my, my sister's wedding in uh, Tennessee. I have a sister who's 14 years younger than me. She just got married. Um, in Tennessee, and then we were there for a few days, uh, flew out to Tennessee, and then we drove down to Florida and stayed at my mom's uh, house in Florida. She's pretty close to the beach just south of Tampa, Florida. So that's what we were doing. Actually, as we were driving to Florida, I like, looked at my watch. I'm like, oh, service is happening right about now, and I prayed for you guys, and then I tried to forget about it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to worry about things, but I knew Ben would be getting up, so I was praying for him. And, um, and then uh, on the way back, flying back from Florida, um, I actually listened to Ben's message on the plane. So good job, Ben. Thank you for filling the pulpit that weekend. <clears throat> and also thank you, Justin Davenport, who he's, he's not here. Apparently he was working late, catching fugitives. So uh, uh, he got home really early this morning. But thank you, Justin Davenport. You could tell him thank you for me if you would, Danita. Um, but how many, um, he preached on um, the presence and the glory of God, and he highlighted Obed-Edom. How many learned something in that message? Yeah. I actually learned something in that message, and I'd never made the, I mean, I made the connection that Obed-Edom had the, the Ark of the Covenant at his house, but I never realized, like, this guy moved his whole family to Jerusalem to be closer to the presence of, the God, of God. He was, like, addicted to the presence of God. And then he became, you know, a, a, a musician and a worship leader in the house of God and a, and a um, a minister in the house of God and a doorkeeper in the house of God. He just wanted to do everything he could to be around the presence of God. He was addicted to the presence of God. I learned something, that message. I never made that connection. I thought that was really cool. So thank you, Justin, for filling in last week. And I just want to say thank you as well to our amazing team here at City Lights Church. We knew that things would be covered, things would be fine. But not only for last week, but for every week. Yeah, give it, yeah, you clap and let's clap for all of our amazing volunteers and directors team. You guys are amazing. I love doing church with you. All right, well, today, um, I'll try to go quickly here. Uh, we're kicking off a new series called Co-Create. The Bible says, and I would say in this series, we're going to have maybe two to f- somewhere between two and four messages. We'll see how it shakes out with a Father's Day message somewhere in the mix there. But the Bible talks about that we are um, co-laborers with God. We actually co-labor with God. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ, co-inheritors with Christ. And then the Bible also says that we will co-reign with Christ. There's a lot of co-stuff going on. And I personally believe that God wants us to co-create in this present world. God is a creator. And he made us in his likeness and in his image. And we are to be creative beings, an expression of God's creativity here on earth. I think, it was, I think it was Ben's message, correct me if I'm wrong, where he mentioned a couple weeks ago that Adam was given the task of naming all the animals. Was that you? Did you say that? Okay, good. Um, Adam was given the task of naming all the animals. And Ben said, I don't think he was just saying cat, dog, lion, you know. He said, I think that he was actually assigning to them a purpose and a destiny. He was actually speaking destiny and assigning purpose. He was co-creating with God. This is an amazing call that God has called us to, to walk as co-laborers, co-heirs with Christ, and to co-reign with him, not only in the life to come, but in life now. We can co-reign with him here and now. So the title of my series that we're going into is called Co-Create. 
And I believe in this room there are many solutions, sitting in these chairs are many solutions to the problems that this city faces and that this world faces. 1 Corinthians 3.5 says the Lord has, has assigned to each his task. There is a specific gifting and calling in each and every one of you to bring God's creative expression to this world, to solve problems, to bring order to chaos, to bring heaven to earth, to shine light into darkness. Amen? It's the same with you and me. We're called to co-create. Today, my message, um, just to kind of kick off this series, my message has been spurred on by a question that I've had rolling around in the back of my mind for the last couple of months. And, and it's not that I don't feel like I have the answer to the question. I, I do believe I have the answer to the question. But the way people answer the question informs me a lot about how they relate to God. So I'm going to ask you a question, and then you don't have to answer it, okay? Don't answer it out loud. And I'm, I'm certain that there actually will not be a consensus in the room. So that's okay. It doesn't have to be consensus. But I'm going to ask the question. Don't answer it out loud. But think about this, okay? Here's the question that I've had rolling around. Is God's goal to control you? I see Pastor Bill shaking his head. Okay, good. Is God's goal to control you? Now, I'm not, this isn't a message on the sovereignty of God. Um, is God in control? Is God sovereign? This is not a message on that. That's a message for another time. What I'm asking is God, is his goal to control your personal conduct and your personal behavior? Let me ask a slightly different question, and I think we'll get you towards what, I, what I'm going at here. This is, a, this is a different question that might get you thinking a little bit differently. How many of you have children in this room? They don't have to be in this room, but children. You have children. They don't have to be. <laughs> is your goal to control your children? Okay. Now, listen. When they're little, now, sometimes maybe. Well, when they're little... When they're little, you might boss them around a little bit and, and dictate a little more like, you know, control in their lives. Discipline, um, you know, uh, behaviors and attitudes. But ultimately, our goal shouldn't be to, like, control our kids, right? If that's your goal, to control your kids forever, I, there's some disappointing times for you ahead. <laughs> it's called teenage years. Young adult years are going to marry someone who might not agree with your omni-control over your, your child's life. I think, I think a good goal for raising kids is not to control them, but to empower them to be everything God has called them to be and to do. The Bible says to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they grow older, when it's decision time, they will not depart from it. <clears throat> the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I don't think it's God's goal to control us. I actually think it's God's goal to empower us. Okay? Listen, Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about transformation. Amen? Let me say that again. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about transformation. It's about a change at the heart level. All right? Let me ask another slightly different question than, than the children one. How many in this room are married? You married, you have a spouse? Yeah, probably, I would say most. Okay. Is it your goal to control your spouse? <laughs> okay. 
Now, if it is your goal to control your spouse, I'm, I know you have problems. I promise. I promise there's problems with that. If you married someone to try to change them, oh my gosh, that's a bad idea. Don't marry someone to change them. But listen, if your goal is to control your spouse, that is not good, right? Um, listen, do you, let me ask you a question. Do you have a goal for your marriage? Do you have, what is, what is the goal of your marriage? Um, I think it's good to have a common goal for marriage. And I submit to you that many marriages suffer, many matrimonies suffer because they're working at two different goals. She has one goal, he has one goal. They don't have the same goal. You've got to be about the same goal, right? And I'll offer this to you. You don't have to, this doesn't have to be your goal. This is the one my wife and I have agreed upon. So when we, you know, start having a conversation, <laughs> it usually involves, you know, me not feeling respected or her not feeling loved, right? It always goes back to this. Well, we, we want to come back to this. This is our agreed upon goal. Our goal of our marriage is to cultivate a loving connection. That's the goal of our marriage, to cultivate a loving connection. Our goal is not to raise kids, although we are doing that, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you, listen, if your goal is to raise kids, what happens when the kids move out? Then you, the, your common, what you had in common is gone. Our goal is not financial stability, although there is certainly nothing wrong with financial stability, right? Nothing wrong with that, but what happens when things get rocky? Nothing exploits that little issue like non-sufficient fund fees, you know, non-sufficient fees, yeah. NSF fees, right? In in your bank account. Nothing exploits that. Um, Nothing will get you talking to your spouse in a very direct way, like you're out of money and now the bank's taking more. (laughs) Okay, but our goal... Our goal, that's, I mean, we want financial stability. We're working towards that. But that's not our primary goal of our marriage is financial stability. Our goal is connection. And in that goal of connection, I'm not in charge of her and she's not in charge of me. We're each responsible to provide for each other what we need. So my goal is not to control my wife. My goal is not to control my kids. And especially as they get older and older, I want to empower them to do right and to live right. Recently, I, I mentioned this, we were on, we were on vacation um, in Tennessee and Florida, and people would ask, you know, we, we saw a lot of family and friends, and people would ask, um, you know, about my vocation, what are you doing? Some people didn't know what I did, and, and so my vocation comes up a lot. And I found out that there's, there's a group of people that go to church, there's a group of people that used to go to church or seldom do, and then there's a group of people who never go to church but when I talked to my family, and, and actually in all three of those categories, I found out that many of them have a perception, this is kind of my takeaway, many of them have this perception that at their core, they believe church and religion is actually God's desire to control them. They actually, at their core, believe like, you know, I think God just wants to control me. And they think God is into behavior his main goal for your life is behavior and modification. And I'm thinking, no wonder they're off doing other things because that's boring, <laughs> okay? Listen, I'm glad you're here. Um, I think church is a good thing. We come together to get built up and filled, but I hope you're not doing this just to check off your do-gooder checklist, right? If this is part of your do-gooder checklist, get a, get a better reason to come here. I'm glad you're here, but get a better reason. I want you to be built up in your faith so that you go back out into the world and shine the light and love of Jesus everywhere you go. By the way, your kids who are being 
uh, watch downstairs. We're not just keeping an eye on them. We're trying to build them up in their faith so that they would shine the light and love of Jesus everywhere we go. It's not just childcare. We're ministering to your kids as we speak. So today, I just want to give you a couple keys to walking in this transformed life that I'm talking about. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Christianity is about transformation. I want to give you a couple keys to being powered by God's love. The title of my message today is Empowered by Love. And I really have one point. How to be empowered by love. This is number one and the only point. Let God's grace transform you. This is going to be a great segue into the rest of this series. Let God's grace transform you. What do I mean by that? Listen, grace is not just God's ability to overlook your and you and, and my shortcomings. Grace is actually the agent that empowers us to live godly lives. Okay, grace isn't just like, oh, God's like, Oop, don't see that, you know. Grace is actually, I'm, I, I have grace and favor towards you, but actually I'm going to come into your heart and empower you to live a godly life. That is grace. Okay, and I believe many, many Christians, they have a blockage to the to life and the flow of God because of, because of something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what this is. Many Christians have a problem with living under what I call dual covenants. Rick actually, Pastor Rick had mentioned this uh, when he served communion a minute ago. But we were in a better covenant, right? We were part of a better covenant. And many times believers, they're trying to operate out of dual covenants. It's like grace, but a little bit of law, a little bit of rules, and grace, Right? And I just want to say, if you're doing that, if you're not fully reliant on grace, then that's going to block the life and the flow of the transformative grace in your life. Okay, let me try to explain the law of Moses to you. Okay, so this is the Old Covenant, Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. The Ten, um, God started off with the Ten Commands, then it grew to some 600 and some odd other subsequent commandments that God gave the children of Israel to be holy. The problem was that not only could no one perform all those laws to a T, nobody wanted to. Like, not only could they not, they didn't, they didn't have the heart to do it. They didn't have the transformed heart. See, grace is about a transformed heart. It's not just about knowing the list of rules. Grace is a transformed heart, okay? They were trying to live from the outside in, the letter of the law, the, tab, um, um, the laws written on tablets of stone. Grace is living from the inside out right? From a heart of flesh. It's living from the inside out. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. The writer who is most likely, in my opinion, Paul, he's describing the difference between the old and new covenants. So verse uh, verse 11 says this, speaking of um, the sacrifices that were happening at that time, it says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Okay, so they were still offering sacrifices um, on behalf of their sins when Paul had wrote this, although Christ had already been risen from the dead. Verse 12, but when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for one time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. Say perfect forever. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, 
This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, the sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And when he did that, he wants to write his laws on our hearts and on our minds. No longer an external, no longer living externally, but from the inside out. God wants to take a heart of stone away from us and give us a heart of flesh that wants to serve him and can serve him has the will, has the heart to serve him. That's what grace does to us. It's not just saying, oh, those things don't matter. It's living from an empowered life, okay? The list of do's and don'ts will never transform your heart. You can read the Ten Commandments all day if you want to. It'll never transform your heart. Simply posting the rules won't transform your heart. I'll give you, let me give you an illustration. Um, Every once in a while you hear about a public school, it's usually like in the South, and... They have like the Ten Commandments on the wall. And someone wants to take it down, but it's been there for a long time. And I, I don't know. I, and then some legal battle usually ensues. And I went to public schools here in Colorado. I never saw anything like that because they never put up the Ten Commandments in the first place. But in some places, there are battles waging in, in this country where, you know, they have scripture on walls in public schools. You know, some people want to take them down. Some people are like, no, we need to leave them up. Now, I'll say this. In principle, I'm, at, I'm pro-Bible being on the walls. In principle, Okay. The law of Moses certainly has its place. But in my opinion, if it's only being used, only if it is being used to point people to Jesus. Okay? Why? Because how many know those kids could see those Ten Commandments and try to, really hard to perform them and never have, they would never be made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. They would never be made perfect forever, Right? That's what Jesus did for us. He perfected forever those who are being made holy. You can never be made perfect forever by listing the rules and trying to perform them. Again, I'm not against the Bible being on the walls. But the, but the law has its place, of course. Grace can do that for us, though. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, it says this. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that has come to the world may be revealed. So the law was our guardian, other translations say schoolmaster. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. The law was the guardian, it was the schoolmaster, but ultimately the, the purpose and the goal of that schoolmaster is to point you really to failure and ultimately to Jesus. Because you can't perform the law to perfection This is why it points to Jesus. But then grace comes into your heart and transforms you from the inside out. 1 Timothy 1a actually says the law is good if one uses it properly. There's a a proper use for the law, okay? But if it's only, listen, if it's only used, the rules, if they're only used for behavior modification, good luck, right? If it's only used for behavior modification, it's not going to work because you're working without grace. We want to work with grace. We want to work with the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? Uh, I'll give you an example of this. <laughs> uh, as I just said, we were on vacation. Uh, we you know, went down to Florida. My, my mom has a house that's um, about five minutes from the beach, so that was super cool for our kids. So we went down there a few times, and there was a, there was a pier that went out into the water. And I'm like, well, let's go swim over by the pier. So me and my two daughters, we swim over by the pier, and there's 
you know, there's more fish by the pier, so that's kind of fun, you know. Swimming by the pier, looking at the fish, and we all had goggles on. And we got kind of bored with that, and we're like, well, let's, uh, let's climb up on the pier. So we climbed out of the water on the pier, and that was kind of fun. And then we're like, let's jump off the pier, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, of course. Don't, now, don't, when I say this, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like 30 feet in the air. It was like probably five feet, okay. So not extremely high, but still kind of exciting for my little girls. And um, <clears throat> so Evie gets up there. I jump in the, in the water. Evie jumps in the water. And then it's Trinity's turn to jump in the water. And um, she wouldn't jump. She was a bit reluctant. She has autism, so she's a little bit skittish. And um, she won't jump. So I wait a little while. She still won't jump. And she's kind of like, no, 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 all nervous. You know. So like any good father, I got up there with her and pushed her off. You know? <laughs> like any good father would do. Yes, I pushed my autistic daughter off the pier. And yes, she came out of the water screaming and it was a scene. Okay, I will admit that. But it was really fun. It was very fun. Okay. She's okay. Only a little scarred for life. <laughs> so we're, we kind of continued to climb up on the pier and go out, you know, jump off and all this stuff. So a little while later, we're swimming around and then we go up on the beach and then we, we get on the pier from the beach. Well, before we had just climbed up on the side of it. And as I climb up on the pier from the beach, I see a sign there. And, and the, sign, the sign was all the list of rules for the pier. Okay, this is rule number one. No swimming within 15 feet of the pier. Whoops. Number two, no jumping off the pier. Broke that one. Number three, this is honestly, I should have taken a picture. Number three, no pushing. <laughs> Said no pushing. The last one was the only one I didn't break. It said, it said no diving. And the only reason I didn't dive is because where it was, it was kind of shallow. And if there weren't people fishing out on the end, I would have dove off there too. So that's the only reason I didn't break all. So three out of four rules broken, 75% failure rate, right? 75% failure rate. Now listen, in that moment, I became aware of my transgressions, right? I became aware of my transgressions. I saw the list of rules. The question is, did I have a heart change? <laughs> and I'll be honest, I didn't really regret it. And we did jump a few more times. And then, and they're like, okay, we should probably stop now, you know. We did stop, but we jumped a few more times. Okay, but listen, becoming aware of the rules in and of themselves didn't necessarily give me a new heart, right? Seeing the list of rules, didn't give me a new heart. I love the story that Matt, Matt Tarka was here, I don't know, January, February, something like that. And he told a story about in Montana how they, I don't know if they still do, but they used to not have a speed limit. And he got through Wyoming. Hey, I'm in Montana now. Now I'm going to put the pedal to the metal. I'm going to go as fast as I want. And he, you know, puts the accelerator down and he's driving and the steering wheel's shaking, right? And he looks in the back seat, sees his family sleeping, his wife's here, and he's like, you know what? This isn't safe. It's not safe to go as fast as I want, you know? And, when, and there's no law saying I have to go this speed. He said, but love compels me to slow it down a little bit, right? Okay, that's what grace is like in our lives. We're compelled and motivated 
by love. We're not motivated externally like the list of rules. Do, 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 do. Don't, 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 don't. We're motivated by a, a, a heart that's transformed by grace, and we're motivated by love. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever seen the sign that you come up to something or whatever, and there's a sign that says, like, don't do this, and then you're like, I didn't even know people did that, you know? <laughs> like, or have you ever read the Bible? And it's like, here's a list of sins, don't do these. And you're like, I wasn't even aware that was a thing. Like, you know? And then you're like, maybe that would be fun. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Bible actually says that the law actually, not, not only does it not have the power to take away your sin, it actually stimulates more transgression. It actually stimulates more sin. The list of rules has no power to remove sin, to cleanse your conscience, or to give you a change of heart. Only grace and an encounter with God can do that. You want to know the fastest way to get kids to throw snowballs at your house? Fastest way to get kids to throw snowballs at your house. Put a sign in front of your house that says, no throwing snowballs. I guarantee you they weren't thinking of it before. Now they're like, not a bad idea. You know? <laughs> I hope I'm making my point here. The list of rules cannot change, transform you. It will not renew It will not make us change the world around us. Look at this, Titus 2, chapter 11. I'm closing, so don't worry. Titus 2, 11, it says this through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12, it teaches us. What teaches us? The grace teaches us, not the law. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Okay, it's the grace of God that teaches us in this present age to live godly lives holy in his sight. Amen? The law will only show you do, don't. It'll only show you what you're doing wrong. The grace of God will empower you. The grace of God actually empowers you to say yes and to say no. And I'll, I'll close with this. If we're going to co-create with God, we can't operate from I, I should change the world. I should transform the world. I, the rule kind of says, I, I need to. Listen, that's not a good motive. Okay, The motive should be, our, we're motivated by grace. We're motivated by love. We're living from the inside out. Okay, And so as we talk about co-creating with God, co-laboring um, with God, co-reigning with God, being co-heirs with Christ, and then we're going to do this in the next couple of weeks, I want to make sure we're not doing this from an external, outside in. I want to make sure we're doing it from an inside out kind of perspective. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll close the message. Father, I thank you that, um, God, I don't believe it is your will to exercise omni-control over our lives, Lord God, but rather I believe you've come to set us free, and he who the Son sets free is free indeed. But Lord God, just like in a marriage where trust and love is cultivated, Lord God, it's not hard. God, it's not hard to love you because you're a good papa. God, it's not hard to serve you because you're a good father, Lord God. God, and even when there are times in our lives where you command us, God, you're not trying to control us. You're trying to point us to what's best for our lives, God. Sometimes there's a piece of the puzzle we don't know. So, Lord, we just, we trust you, God. We ask for your leadership in our lives, Lord God. And I thank you, God, you're leading us, God. And I just pray for everyone here today, Lord, that we would be empowered by grace, empowered from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.